0: Welcome to the Happy Mindset Show, the show that helps you uncover insights, realizations, and lessons learned to help you to live a life that you love. Today's episode is episode number 18, and today's episode title is called What the Feck is a Coach? Uh, Today, I'm joined by Amir Kakuti. Amir is a coach to Fortune 500 CEOs. He is the author of numerous books, including Lessons from a Life Coach and Do Nothing to Get Everything. And he's also the owner of a chain of restaurants in San Diego. So thanks for joining us today, Amir.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to see what shows up for us.
0: Cool. So um, I guess, like, where did it all begin for you? Like, how did you become a coach and an author? How did you get to where you are today? I guess a little bit of background, I guess. So
1: mainly when I was younger, my family, I was born in Iran. And every single year or two, we would have to move. And it was frustrating. It was hard as a young as a young kid having to f- make friends and then have to go make friends again somewhere else and then have to go do it over and over again. And I started to notice there was some consistencies with psychology, like how, how people connected, because I had to learn how to connect, you know, how to do it over and over again in, a, in an environment without reading books or seeing how other people do it. And I started to see like there's, there's certain things that allow us to to connect there's certain things that make us have friendships and and things like that and from a young age i became very very intuitive and self-reflective on just human dynamics and from there i i realized without knowing that when i'm older there's some use to that there's some useful you know usefulness to knowing that there's ways to have better relationships deeper insights and things like that and and it happened to be that as I got older I found other people that were on a similar journey in their own path and I went oh wow there's people that actually get paid for doing this and and talking about it and so I started exploring coaching you know first for my own selfish reasons because I wanted to be better I want to know oh this is why I, I was the way that I was and then as i started talking to friends and family and coworkers and things like that they started to say hey i'd like to spend some time with you this is really interesting and uh i actually didn't know there was actually a profession that would would pay you to to sit and talk to you until i realized that coaching is is a, is a true profession and uh that that's that's the gist of how i became a coach by accident i would say
0: mm. Was there a day when you realized that this could become a, a profession for you?
1: Yeah, the day that someone said, um, I'm willing to pay you to talk. And it was so foreign at the time. I, I, I felt weird. I didn't want their money. It's, uh, you know, it's that whole thing a lot of coaches go through, which, you know, you feel guilty and, you know, what, I'm, I'm just talking, I'm not doing anything. And, you know, my wife's an interior designer. At the end, you get to see the building that she built or what she she's done inside a house. So, you know, there was a lot of incongruency with with someone wanting to pay me, but it happened enough times where I said, okay, I got to start looking at this seriously because um, I'm not even asking for it, which was kind of uh, the first lesson of coaching is, uh, you know, serving the hell out of the person in front of you. And that's all I knew to do. I didn't even know to ask for money. And uh, where ironically, once I became an official coach, money became a very high up on my, my, uh, you know, in my mind. And I started actually having a tough time getting clients because money was on my mind where before I just wanted to chat with people and see if I could help them. So that was a really good lesson as, as far as being a coach as well.
0: So when you went through that stage where money was on your mind then how did you snap out of that?
1: Well, I knew something wasn't working and I didn't quite know what was shifting because I figured in order to be a successful coach, money should be on your mind. And uh, I I just kind of had an insight going back into how I originally met with people and how people wanted to pay me. And it was simply by sitting down with them, exploring something and doing it again. And it was an inverse relationship with money. I served them and money was a side effect. Whereas after a while, I realized I was using money as a side effect of serving. Like if I can make this much, then I will help them. If they can see my value, that how much I charge, then they'll see that I'm a really good coach. And I just, because I saw the way that it originally worked and it had nothing to do with money. Um, I, I just went back to the roots of how I was helping people. I simply was serving them. And I know this sounds something that we always here in the coaching community, but I got a firsthand sense of it with, uh, with spending time with people. Now, one thing that's important, I'm not saying money isn't important. You shouldn't think about money or not. You, know, you have to make a living as a coach. However, coaching starts with helping the person. That's how it starts, right? And as I mentioned before, money is the side effect of being a wonderful coach and serving somebody. And uh, I still need to get reminded of that because I get these insecure ideas and thoughts that, um, oh, I got to make more money or whatever. I make money a thing instead of the person in front of me, which is starting with nothing and and seeing how it goes. So having a clear mind. And uh, that's been the most useful thing for me, at least for now.
0: So does it ever go away, those insecure thoughts you'll have around money? Um...
1: You know, that's a good question. It just doesn't matter anymore that I have insecure thinking. It's not so much that I don't have him anymore. It's uh, more like Justin Bieber on the radio. You know, I don't really care for his music, but it doesn't doesn't say anything about who I am, what it means, why I'm listening to it. It's just, oh, it's Justin Bieber. All right, I'll wait a couple minutes and something new will show up. Um, That's kind of what I have with insecure thinking now. It's just an annoying radio. It's it's just an annoying song. I don't have to do anything necessarily about it. I just... Have insecure thinking about money sometimes
0: how do you start realizing that that's how it worked though like that you can ignore the insecure thoughts and and you'll get fresh thinking
1: well so as we we kind of discussed i i used to be an nlp practitioner and there were times where i would help clients when i was in the worst mood and i had a lot of insecure thinking And I was still able to help clients. And there were days where I'd wake up and really, really have powerful thoughts about myself. And today I'm going to really smash it. And I'd be with a client and they'd say, yeah, this was not really a good session. I'm I'm really sorry. I don't understand what's happening. And I went, this is really strange. I thought there's a correlation with my state of mind and how I show up. And time and time again, it was kind of a mixed bag, right? And what I realized for myself is um, there was a there was a you know so, so, there was a big shift one time I had a client that came in for NLP and uh, they actually came in because they wanted uh, relationship problems fixed. So I thought he came in and uh, he said, "Look, Amir, I'm 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 ready to kill myself. I have a family, but uh, you know I'm getting my insurance in order and I." had no answer. I was terrified. And I was like, Oh my God, I hope he doesn't do it on my watch or what, you know, I I just, it was not my, it was not, it was above my pay grade. Right. So I decided I'm not going to be a coach in that moment. And I'm just going to be someone that listens. And I had an insight, you know, I I talked to him in real time without any preconceived strategies and tools or whatever to fix the guy. I just sat and listened to him and for about an hour, he mentioned how he has all these voices in his head and how important those voices are. And his voice is telling that he needs to no longer live and that he's not good enough. Um, that, you know, it's, it's his time to, to, to leave the earth. And he was just very elaborate with all this. And so I cut him off at, at some point And I said, what's the difference between me telling you that you're worthless and your voice in your head? And he and he said, well, the voices in my head seem a lot more real. And we just explored that. I said, you know, j- just to see. And eventually, after a certain amount of time, he started to see that the voices may sound real because they're coming to their head, but they're voices nonetheless. He doesn't have to listen to a telemarketer when they call and say you need to buy this product, or a commercial that says you know, buy my toothpaste, it'll be the best one. And he started to realize you just put a lot more importance in the voices in his head than the voices supposedly outside of his head, whatever that means. Because honestly, the only way that we can decode voices or decode sounds is in our head, right? That's the only way, whether it's your voice right now on the Zoom call or whether it's the radio, those are not voices. Those are simply sounds that get have to be decoded Once it hits our mind and he got a glimpse that in actuality, there is no true voice that needs to be heard. And the only constant that he realized in that moment was that he can always be aware of which voices to follow or not. And his awareness is what he started to pay attention to, not what he's aware of. And that made a huge you know, shift for him and for me. That was a day that, which, which we can discuss is that the best coaches that I've worked with no longer became coaches. They became a part of me. And we, we looked at our, our journey together, which is very interesting because when you hire a coach, for me, I thought I'm hiring coach because they know something I don't. What I've realized for me, what a coach is, is somebody that's ready to explore everything without any predisposition of where to go, how it's supposed to look. And it's like two people going into a museum. We're going to see what we see and we discuss it. And it was eye-opening for me. And it was eye-opening for my client because it was for my first time I showed up empty and in that emptiness, they were able to see something for themselves as well. And we both weeped. We both hugged each other. And he looked at me and said, I don't think I want to kill myself anymore. I just, I, I, and he said something shifted. And when he left, there was a sense of relief for me, a sense of possibility. But I had no idea what the fuck just happened, to be honest with you, because I didn't use a strategy. I was left to my own devices. I was left with the moment and it was kind of liberating, yet scary, yet confusing, yet the most peaceful thing I ever, you know, experienced in my life. And there was a sense of like, I want to do more of that. And how do I do it? Which was ironic because the very question got me towards away from where I went, which was coming from nothing, coming from the sense of this empty space. So the, I started to realize that question in of itself is going in the wrong direction. And so I started, I, you know, at that time you had mentioned a a gentleman you work with Jamie smart Mm -hmm. had sent out an email. He had a company called salad and, uh, he, he sent out an email that said, Hey, I found this thing, uh, this paradigm that kind of looks towards where well being comes from, where, where clarity comes from. And I may be selling my business and I may be going in and I may be going in that direction. Now that baffled me because he was in the same journey as me. He was an NLP practitioner, a really high level one, someone I followed, that kind of had an almost exact insight that I did around the same time. So I said, you know, I'm gonna see where he's going. And he just happened to elaborate better than I did what I was going through. And he mentioned a gentleman by the name of Michael Neal and the three principles. And the next thing I know, I went, this is it. This is what I experienced. And they just put it eloquently into words.
0: Hmm. What did the three principles mean to you there when you, when you, what actually resonated with them when you came across the three principles, you had some bit of a label. How did you know that this was what described what went on before that?
1: So the three principles in of themselves, Um, it's mind consciousness and thought means absolutely nothing to me Mm. means absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, the more you look into those words, it's kind of like if you tell me what's an insight and you go into the dictionary to look up the word insight, that doesn't necessarily get you an insight. It just gives you a description of what an insight may look like, but what it looks like and how you experience it are two different things as you may probably already know. Um, the fundamental thing about the three principles is it explains how we experience life. That's it. That's basically what it is. And knowing simply how life is, how it arises in, in consciousness and how every single thing that we experience is simply a thought, a thought taking form. And, and it makes sense that when you feel a thought that doesn't feel good or doesn't a thought that doesn't look good in your mind, maybe a a fight with your wife or maybe, you know, you may be losing a job is going to have a certain feeling in your body versus one that's about you walking on the beach and having a good time with your friends has a different feeling and that not one certain state of mind is better than another. It's simply a state of mind. That's natural. That's supposed to happen with somebody that has the capacity to think gives you the freedom to have any single experience and know you're okay because you're not that experience. You're just experiencing it in consciousness. So, And that was even more headier than you have to know. You, the, simply, the simple thing you have to know is if you're alive, you will experience. And in that experience, you will have a multitude of experiences. And every experience, whether it's good, bad, hurtful, angry, jealous, is made from the same transient energy as another one. And that alone did something for me. It gave me a a, a very big shift that actually connected the pieces with my, with the person, you know, with looking back with my clients before I knew the three principles. Well, of course, if someone comes in with a lot of thinking around their family and their job, even thinking about suicidal ideation, that you're going to feel a certain way. Of course you are. And, you know, looking back in that conversation, um, there were moments where me and that specific client would have, when we're having a real time conversation, we would laugh and he would kind of forget his suicidal thinking. And I could see him go, Oh, right. We have to go back to the suicide thought. And then I could see his body shift. And I went, wow, that's so interesting because he wasn't suicidal when he didn't have a suicidal thinking. And that was something that it was, it was a very brief glimpse I got when we had discussion, but I went, that's it. When you're not in the thinking you're in, that's bothering you. You're not really bothered. And when you get back into it, we're bothered. That made a lot of sense for me. And that made a lot of sense too. When I would work with someone and I was not really feeling good, but when I, connected with the person and my state of mind mattered less, whether I was in a good mood or bad mood, and I was simply in front of the person, things would shift. And what what I didn't know is I would look back and go, well, if it shifted, certainly my state of mind must have had a factor in it. Certainly, because I was in a low level, had must have had a factor in it. But a lot of times, it wasn't that my state of mind had a factor in it. It's the level of engagement I had in that particular state of mind that had a tremendous factor in it. And so, I've just I've just realized that the best way to do life is to live it. And the less I'm in life, and the more I'm in thinking, the less I can experience life as it's supposed to unfold.
0: And for you, how is life supposed to unfold? Um, I guess
1: the way it's supposed to unfold is is not up to me. Um, it unfolds without me having to do anything. The same way as it's like asking, well, how do you wake up in the morning? I don't. I don't. I don't wake up. It wakes. I, it wakes itself up. I wake up, and I in the same way with sleeping. I don't. I don't have much to do with sleeping. When my eyes close and I'm in a dream, it, the only time I know in retrospect is once I'm w- awake, woken up, right? Or once I, it wakes me up. And in the same way, life unfolds as it does. Now, we think in retrospect, that was a good decision. That wasn't a good decision. Ooh, that was a big insight. As we're having life ha- unfold, we don't know any of that. And so it's kind of funny to me now when we put so much emphasis on what the future should look like, when in reality, all the good things that has happened, all the bad things, all the amazing synchronicities, we couldn't have imagined, but we can see its importance just simply in retrospect, which gives us a lot of freedom to live in this moment, which gives us a lot of freedom once we realize that. As we are talking, Dennis, in this moment, life is just simply being created. It's being created right in this moment. So what a strange thing to limit it to. Well, this is how it should go. This is what it's supposed to look like, which is ironic because I wrote a book called Lessons from uh, Lessons from My Coach. And one of the things I used to, you know, and a lot's changed since that book. One of the things is looking for kings and queens, right? That was the thing that I really looked at but while i was looking and creating kings and queens i missed so many other gifts of princesses and and the child inside and the person that's that's uh, recovering from drug and alcohol that i'm working with now that are angels but i missed that because i was looking for something that i made up right and so now any conversation has the possibility of being the most amazing conversation possible any connection could be the most important connection in this moment by simply allowing myself to, to open up to that possibility without giving it a label, giving it a meaning, giving it whatever it is. Because as life unfolds, it gives us the meaning it needs to. And it's a different conversation at that point.
0: What do you think about meaning? Like I've seen that in my own life, when I attach meaning when, where there isn't, it, I get into trouble. How, yeah. would you, how do you approach, uh, I suppose, the meanings that we have attached to things?
1: So I work at a recovery center. I don't have a background in recovery. I'm not an, uh, a recovering addict, or I'm not a therapist or counselor. Um, the first day I went to the group, they just literally threw me in and said, you know, here's your group. And uh, I mean, there's a little bit more background, because what, what had happened is I spoke to one of the therapists about what we're talking about. And he had an insight and he said, can you do what you did with me in my recovery group? So I had an in, right? But I was terrified. I went in there and I looked at the group. There was about 30 people that are, that are addicted to heroin, crack cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, gambling, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you name um, name it, they're, they're in the room. And immediately I froze because I went oh my God, what am I going to talk to people about drug addiction when I've never had it? I don't know. I don't have anything. So I, I immediately said, look, I'm, I'm very, very sorry, folks. I have, to, I have to admit something. I don't have a background in recovery. I don't have a counseling degree. I don't know anything about the drugs you have taken. And I have to say that I walked in here as if I was going to save you guys from your addictions. But what I do know to be true." Is that you're a human and you struggled, and I am a human, then I've struggled. And from that point of view, we are not that far apart. So today, you can take the day off from, from being an addict, and I'm gonna take the day off from being the person that should know what to do to fix an addict. And today, we're simply gonna talk as people, as people that have struggles, but as people that can also be successful in a journey together. How does that sound? And at first, when I said that, I thought they're going to laugh and go, oh, my God, here we go. That was really cool. And they said, many of them said, this was the first hour I didn't have to be an addict. This was the first hour someone saw me as a human. Someone saw me as simply a person that may have had a blind spot. And they got insight simply by me showing up with nothing of a label, nothing of who they are or who I am, but simply a dialogue with another person. And for so many years, by having a label of, I am a coach, I'm someone that's going to help people, I was hindering myself. Because when we put a label in front of us, it's just another wall from being farther away from the person that's in front of us. Because the person that's in front of us is simply a human, an amazing human being. In a, a being that is able to to create moment to moment, that has a capacity to have a new thought moment to moment, a capacity to see an insight that they didn't see a moment ago. Now, whether you're, you're an addict, whether you're a client, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're somebody that's lost a job ten times, it doesn't matter. That capacity does not change, and that I think is the juice, is the magic with working with people, it's not the, the title of a coach. It's not the title of you being an addict. I'm be, I'll be your savior. I'll be the guy that knows something. It's simply people looking in a direction of what's true for them, whatever that may look like. And at that point, it becomes an equal opportunity paradigm. The, 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 the idea that of who I am, who, who you are dissolves. And then you have two people just simply looking at a direction. And that in of itself is so much more valuable than anything that I've come across because it strips away everything else. And it just puts you and I in one room together to see and explore. And I don't know if that made sense. I, I, I hope that made sense. I'm not sure if that.
0: Yeah, it does make sense. It's like, I think what does get in the way is when we label things and, Another thing as well is credentials. Like before I started looking at this thing as well, I was like, how could I coach somebody if I've got no credentials? But then I started seeing it's more about having a real conversation and allowing whatever occurs, occur, and uh, to help people to move forward. Because a lot of the time we just get stuck in our thinking about who we are and what we can do and stuff. Whereas when you can create a space for somebody to, to actually just talk and see what's limiting them. I don't think you need a credential for that. You just need a pair of ears and actually listen to somebody.
1: Yeah. And you hit, hit on a great point because it was kind of ironic to me. Um, we were going to help other people with their limitations, but we came in with our own with, well, do I have enough credentials? <laughs> the irony of that, right, yeah. is we're trying to show them the illusionary nature of what we, what we created. I'm a bad father. I, I do not do good or well or amazing at work. Can you fit, you know, help me. And we we see, where their blind spots are usually an illusionary idea of uh, our identity they've created. Yet. I have so many coaches saying, how can I have enough credibility to tell them that what they're making up is made up? In other words, they're saying, how can you fix my made up illusion and make it better so I can tell them that their illusion is not that true. And it's kind of comical. I woke up to that one day I said, Oh my God, this is hilarious. What it turns out is the less you see, Or the more you see that the idea of a coach and credibility and all that is made up, the more opportunity you'll give your client to see that what their experience is is typically made up as well, that they have believed so, so truly that now they think they need a solution for something they made up in the first place, which is all a coach will simply do, right? We simply show that the problems that are created don't need a solution if they are seen for what they're actually worth or what they're made of, which is typically a thought, mm. most of the time, an identity that was created in thought most of the time, this label, this this thing that we need to be or do, don't have or don't need or do need, and the more we look into that specific thing, right? Just like my the, my client who uh, who thought he ne- needs to listen to those voices right? Well, I have voices about what a coach looks like, right? I just don't care anymore. And he got to see the nature of that too. Now, you know, to bring this story full circle with that client, you know, months later, I asked him, well, you know, how are you doing? And he says, well, I still have suicidal ideation. I said, oh, no, really? And he goes, well, that's not a problem. And I said, well, how is it not a problem? He goes, well, I have suicidal thoughts But I also have thoughts of eating a sandwich, and I also have thoughts of, well, should I take a nap now? And I've just realized not one is better than another. And I just, and he got to see the illusionary nature that he was giving importance to something called suicidal ideation. Whereas if he came to me for, you know what, Amir, I have a lot of thinking about a ham sandwich. and I don't know what to do about it. Like that would have sounded silly to him. Mm. And now that thought about suicide seems just as silly to bring up forth as it is to bring up the, I need fixing about this particular thought about ham sandwiches. He doesn't see the distinction anymore. And so that's how I feel about, about, about coaching now is it's so much more liberating to not be the coach and not have a client, but to have two people on a call and look at a direction, whatever that shows up. And I can bring in my illusionary thoughts of myself in just as much as they can about theirs and we can laugh about it, we can talk about it, and we can hang out in that space to see what we do as humans. And something about that conversation alone does something for people. And then people say, well, how do I pay you now? It's absolutely brilliant.
0: Mm-hmm. how do you see humor the role of humor and lightheartedness in this in the coaching conversation
1: oh man um
0: how do you find the balance between like because you could be talking about serious stuff like how do you manage to find the balance between bringing that lightheartedness and what uh be talking about serious stuff that is real to the person because that they wouldn't be coming to you otherwise
1: Seeing how illusionary that real thing looked like a moment ago typically lends people to laugh hysterically, which I don't know if, 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 if God had a sick sense of humor and he likes to put, you know, us into these situations where they look extremely tough. But he all, you know, if there is a God, I'm not sure I'm not religious, but if there was, He has a sixth sense of humor, but he also has an amazing sense of gratitude because he's given us resiliency and awareness to see what's actually happening. And so it's not so much that I put humor into the coaching conversations. It's that behind the illusionary nature of thought, when we see who we truly are, that we have this resiliency, this sense of connection with, with the world and each other, it becomes so funny to see how much time we invested in a particular thought. It really does. You know, when we look back and we go, Oh, you know, I have a fight with my wife and an hour later I go, Oh my God, I said some really bad stuff. And I go back and say, honey, um, you're not as bad as I thought. Sorry. And we can laugh about it at lunch, you know, or we go back and have dinner. It's comical. It's, 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 it's liberating. Liberation to me is funny liberation of the idea of ourselves and what we do to survive and to show up in the world is so much easier than we think. And it's funny. Something about that is funny. And in time and time again, our, you know, when I do coaching conversations with clients and we come in with a deep problem that we need to resolve. And in an hour later, that problem looks so different we laugh about how much time we invested in that identity and that thought and that worldview that an hour ago looks so important. We And we, when we see the that it loosens the grip, and when that grip gets loosened with that particular thought we had an hour ago, there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of a belly laugh that comes out that's so natural for us, like a child that is frustrated about something and then, he he's able to open up the box and he starts to laugh like it was the most amazing thing, that's our childlike nature comes out for for us. And that to me is the essence of who we are is, is there's so much comedy and so much laughter and freedom that when we get there, we see it. When we get there, we see it. So it's not, well, what do you, you know, how do you put comedy into something that's serious? Well, I don't, but when that seriousness kind of dissolves, Mm. And there is so much laughter behind all that to see.
0: So what's the biggest thing you've learned, I suppose, in your coaching journey? Uh, That's made the biggest difference in your life.
1: The biggest thing that I've learned as a coach, that's a really good question. That the less I concern myself with what I am, And the more I'm in life, things show up as they need to. Now, that doesn't always happen because I am a person that has thinking and superstitious thinking and and ideas of the world. And, you know, it's easier said on a Zoom call right now until I hang up and me and my wife get into a fight or my daughter does something and, and I get, you know, in my head. But... Being self-reflective of the nature of life in of itself does something. And so the biggest gift I've gotten from from being a coach is being in that self-reflective nature of, of, of dialogue, seeing who we truly are and looking in that direction, however it looks, wherever it leads us. Something about the actual inquiry in of itself is useful, Useful, Right. Now, what I used to think is that the answer after that is useful, but what I'm starting to see, it's not necessarily the answer because an answer always changes. You know, one minute you get an insight and takes you to a direction, another insight takes you to another, but what's always true is that we have the capability of an insight. So that's a constant. What's always true is I have the capability of being self-reflective and having an inquiring mind. That's always true. What's always true is I have the capacity to see something new, a new thought. That's always true. So I put my money on what's always true now. What's not always true is a certain answer. What's not always true is uh, if my state of mind needs to be po- is going to be positive or negative. What, what I, what's not always true that that I'm always going to have clarity. That you know lack of clarity is also part of the game that isn 't true, but a lot of people put their money onto that. How can I have a better state of mind? How can I see something clear? how can they, it 's a very solution based process a lot of coaching is a solution based process, and behind that solution is the possibility of an infinite ways of seeing life that I know is true, so When I spend time with my clients, that's where I point to. Don't worry about the solution because a solution will change but you have the capacity of seeing it a certain way at any time in infinite ways. And so, self-inquiry, being able to see that you you have a capacity that to me has been the biggest gift of coaching. And I, and having enough, spending enough time with, with clients time and time again, whether they have used me or not, whether the call was fruitful or not, I guarantee you two days from now, they will always see something different, guaranteed, whether I was a good coach, a bad coach. So that I know to be true, that we are animals, human beings, with a capacity beyond, beyond what we think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That I know to be true. And from that space, anything is possible, truly. Anything is possible.
0: You said human spirit, I think, yeah. It's a lot of, uh...
1: Yeah, there you go, and human spirit.
0: Yeah. But the, so the writing actually I actually want to touch on, because you're an author of a numerous book, so like, how did you get into writing? Was it something you always wanted to do, or was it a medium you found useful to get your message out?
1: Well, at a young age, I was told I, I uh, you know, English was my third language and I was told I, I'm always going to have difficulty writing because uh, my translation would go from Farsi first and then to German at the time and then English. So it was really scrambled. And uh, I remember my teacher telling me that you, you're going to have a really tough time. And uh Looking back, I just didn't buy into that. I just didn't know that that was something that was important to, to really value, like, like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That idea that I wasn't going to be a good writer just didn't make sense to me. I was too dumb to take that into account. So I'm not a musician. I like dancing, but something about writing was very tr- meditative for me. Um, I started to write for my own self, and next thing I know, you know, a page, a chapter turned into a page, a page turned into a chapter, a chapter turned into two chapters. Looking back, you know, when I wrote, I said, wow, I just wrote a book. That's what happened with Lessons from My Coach. I spent time with my my coach, Rich Litvin, mm-hmm. and I just took notes about my time with him. And every night I would reflect on, uh, on something that he said and what, what my learnings were from it. And my I remember my wife saying, Wow, this could be a great book. And that's how it came into fruition. I never intended to write books. Um, I just intended to explore and again inquire about what's on my mind and put it in you know in in written form. And so it was kind of a backwards process. It was, I wrote about what, what, what excited me, what was a lesson for me. And then in retrospect, it was it turned into something called a book. So.
0: So was it kind of like you're writing as reflections, um, a way to reflect on what you were learning? Is it because I know with learning, when you write stuff down, it helps solidify what you're learning. And that's a good technique as a learner, but it sounds there that you've been, you were doing it as like a way to reflect on the sessions afterwards, rather than it being you taking notes about how to do stuff.
1: Exactly. Right. Right. It was a reflection of, uh, an inquiry of, and, uh, And it's interesting to just go back and read some parts and go, wow, I've changed so much from certain chapters and I've changed so much of what I thought, which is a really cool thing about writing too, is you get to go back and see your old self and see how much you've grown and how much you've shifted. And so for anyone on this call that's listening, man, uh, it's it's the most unique snapshot of where you are in your life in that moment that, that you can always go back to and revisit.
0: I think that's important, actually, because I think that is the writing process, is that before I started writing a little bit, too, I thought that you needed to have it perfect before you began. But in hindsight, now I've kind of gone, you start with where you are, and you keep writing just for the sake of it, and you, gradually you see in hindsight that I've got better at expressing myself. Yes. Creating a narrative and stuff. I didn't know that before. I thought, I just presumed you have the perfect grammar, perfect way of describing things to become a writer. But I think the way it actually works is you get stuff out out of your head onto paper. And over time you become a writer from doing that.
1: Yeah. You don't become perfect from learning all that. You, you become perfect by doing the thing. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, the, the, The biggest thing I will tell you is so many people tell me, so you've written five or six books. I don't remember how many, but you know, what did you first do? What, what programs did you use and what editing software? Who's your editor? And I just went, man, you have a lot of thinking around simply writing. Like just, I just got on a keyboard and I said, honey, give me an hour. I'm going to type something. And and people would say, well, what about if you have writer's block? And I go, if I have writer's block and I have writer's block, what do you want me to do? I don't write. Like it's really that simple. There's it's not writer's block for me. It's oh I don't have much to say right now. I'll say something tomorrow.
0: Actually, Seth no. S- 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 Gordon talked about that too. He was like, I never get talker's block. So why should I get writer's block?
1: Exactly right. <laughs> right. Well, if I have nothing to say, you don't say anything. And if something comes out, something comes out. There's no difference. That's brilliant. Yeah. So I just, you know, that that extends to my life. I just do shit in life. Some things work. Some things don't. And I get to start over again every single time I open my eyes every morning.
0: What a gift. Yeah. Simple. I guess another question that occurs to me, is there any belief that you wouldn't question that you have? Any belief I can't question. Yeah. Um, You wouldn't question.
1: The, the only belief that I think I can't question is that belief in of itself. Um, That You know, in in my life, my short life of being 39 years old, I have constantly been fooled by a particular thought and a particular belief enough times to not put too much money on any belief. Um, So I may have a belief that's very strong and opinionated right now, but I just don't put a, a lot of money into that anymore. I used to um you know whether it's a an idea or a paradigm but because what i've realized and discovered is that the thing that i think is real whatever that is whether it's a philosophical paradigm or an idea in of itself is simply an idea about whatever it is it's not the essence if i for example of who i am if we go back to who i truly am no amount of words will ever be able to describe who I truly am. Words were not designed for that kind of self-reflection. If we look back in history, words were a survival mechanism, a way to communicate, to say there's danger over there. You know, our evolution of being self-reflective came a lot later. Unfortunately, our language didn't evolve with what we are able to be self-reflective of. So, Language is very useful, but it doesn't go to the core of who we are. That's something that's outside of the bounds of of language. And that's why music, art, you know, certain, you know, certain Mm. just being in nature gives us a connection that no amount of words will ever, uh, will will do justice to.
0: Yeah, that's true. So then just to finish up, um, you have a favorite book that, that would have impacted you in some way in your journey anything that stands out yeah there there's a couple
1: um that i would say um any of alan watts's books have have made a tr- tr- significant um shift in my mind osho has uh no not one book in particular uh wealth warrior by steve chandler was a huge one as far as coaching as far as my ideas about money um my most recent book that I really enjoy is *More Than Allegory* by Bernardo Castro. Um, that's been really, really amazing.
0: What's that book about?
1: Um, he's a he's a, he was a uh, he's a scientist that had an enlightenment experience in a sense, and he's able to corroborate his scientific findings. Uh, with his metaphysical ideas about how life works. And so it's actually very three principles principles-esque. from a scientific point of view. It's very fascinating. Um, He's got a lot of stuff on YouTube. You can find him Bernardo Castro and my latest book that I really, really like that I'm reading right now as of this moment um, is, let me tell you right now, it's luminous life by um, Who's it by? Uh, Lieberman, Jacob Lieberman, Luminous Life by Jacob Lieberman. He's an optometrist whose vision got fixed somehow after having, you know, years of having um, eye issues and not being able to see. And uh, he kind of became introspective to see how that is possible. So he got into the science of uh, light and things like that. And it was it's, it's absolutely fascinating. So I would highly recommend that book as well.
0: Sounds interesting. So how would somebody reach out to you or find out find your material?
1: So my books are on um on Amazon. You know if you look up Amir Karkuti on Amazon, uh you can also go to my website amirkarkuti.com and you can contact him, contact me there. It'll go directly to me to my uh, email and uh I'm happy to discuss any of this stuff further with people um and I have a lot of YouTube videos as well. You can go on YouTube, put my name there. Amir Karkoudi, and you'll see a lot of my videos there as well.
0: Yeah, I like them. I like your videos on YouTube. They're, some of them are quite funny, and they're, and they're insightful as well, which I like, so it's uh, good stuff. Thank you so much. No worries. Uh, yeah, so thanks for taking the time out today, Amir, to explain more about coaching and writing. I think there's a, there's a lot of valuable information in there for people, so uh, thanks again for taking the time.
1: Thank you so much for having me, man. This was wonderful. Thanks for your wonderful questions as well.
0: No worries. So until next time, have fun and enjoy the process.